Hey guys, good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians 4. That will be the only place you are in today, so you can go ahead and turn there, get your highlighters out. Get comfortable. Galatians 4, Jacob, as we are on the marriage retreat, um, that's one thing I forgot to mention during our announcement, man, our marriage retreat was phenomenal. God was so good to us. It was just a great time, and um, I'm so um, thankful, and I'm stopping to be surprised at some of the success that we have in certain areas just because I think we could do anything and have a good time just because you got people who love each other. And so we could have a retreat for grandparents, and it just go well. Even though we have no grandchildren, we're just, we're just doing well because we're with each other, and we love one another, and we love the, the Lord, and it doesn't really matter what we do. It, it seems to be a good time, and God blesses, and the marriage retreat was no different. So we had a great time, but Jacob did a wonderful job um, last Sunday for me in Galatians 4 for at least the first 11 verses, and then we're going to pick up in verse 12 today. Pray for Samantha. Malone, she lost her grandfather unexpectedly. I believe he was in his late 70s and the funeral's today, so they are away from us. So please pray for that family. I think he was a, a cornerstone for their home. So before we read, if you're a note taker, there's something that I want you to jot down or at least I want you to think about is this Sunday is a, is a hard message. It was very good for me. It was very comforting as a pastor because I feel like I run into this a lot, and I experience a lot, and it's a lot of frustration for me and a lot of concern for me, but I also was very convicted by it because I'm married, and I have kids, and I have friends, and this is probably an area that I struggle with as a sinner and as a man, and so it really touched base on a lot of aspects of my life, but the question that I want you to think about this morning is, as you look at yourself, are you willing and able to listen to others. And it's something, I mean, some of you guys are probably gifted in this area. I know men and women who are very open, but for the most part, we're, we're very defensive people. We're very aggressive people. We're prideful people. We're selfish people. We're arrogant people. We're self-righteous people. Like a lot of us, and I stand in the front of the line, that's my wife, a lot of us have a hard time listening. A lot of us are not open. A lot of us are not able. A lot of us have hardships with listening to others. So as I, I preach the message today, I want to kind of give a fine print word. Our mind is going to drift at times like, you know what, I hope my husband is listening to this. Thank you, Hunter, for saying what I want to say, right? I'm going to get in the car and my wife's going to be like, do you hear him, Right? This is kind of how our mind drifts at time. Or, or you know what, I take in this message and I am going to go tell someone. I want you to take a moment, and that might be the good word for you. Some of us need to have challenging conversations, but I really plead and beg you to really look at yourself, okay? Really look at yourself. Look at Galatians 4, 12 through 16. Remember, this is Paul's letter to the people of Galatia. He says, brothers, I urge you to become like me. Man, that's a wild statement, isn't it? You know who I want you to be like? I want you to be like me. For I have become like you. 
You have not injured me at all, Paul says. You know that because of my physical infirmity that I preached the gospel to you at the first. So what Paul says, I'm writing this letter to you now, but remember, we've met in person before this. Remember this? I speak to a lot of you guys. I know you sleep from Sunday to Sunday. We have a hard time digesting and remembering at times. Paul has walked with these people physically. He's poured into them. He's taught them. He's loved them. He goes, listen, there was a time, remember when I was, I was right with you, I preached the gospel to you face to face. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. When I was with you face to face, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Also another bold statement. He says, when I walked with you, you respected me, you loved me, you honored me. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, highlight this one for me, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Like that's where they were with Paul when he was face to face with them. Like when I was here in person and I wasn't texting you from miles away, he goes, man, you would have not just given the shirt off your back. You would have given me your eyeballs. That's what Paul says. Man, this is what the whole kind of message hangs on. Whatever you do, highlight 16. Kids, highlight 16. Paul says, have I therefore now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? He says, there was a moment, man, you looked at me as an angel. You were thankful, you respected, you loved, you honored. You would have given me your eyes. He says, now I'm the bad guy? You see the moment? Like, am I the enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Now remember the umbrella in which everything sits in Galatians. Just flip one page, you can do it. Look at chapter one, verse six. Paul starts his message. He looks at the people. He remembers him walking. He remembers when they joined the church and they were pouring into him, saved and baptized. He remembers all of this special moment. And he goes, man, now, fast forward in life, I marvel. I'm shocked. I'm bewildered that you are turning away so soon from him who've called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, a works base, a Jesus plus, a distortion, right? Now go back to where we were. What does he say? Am I the enemy now because I've told you this? You see it? It's a hard conversation. Like I am shocked. I am marveled. I'm confused that you've turned from what you said you loved and understood Chapter four, it's almost like the people have responded. And he goes, wait a minute, am I the bad guy? In this week's text, what Paul is saying to all of them and us in our swaying and drifting, brother, what happened to you? Write that down. What happened? That's the question. What happened to you? He said, you received me in my struggle. When Paul was there in person, he's speaking about scripture in the past. 
And he goes, man, you loved me when it was hard to love me. I was a marked man. Like, I was the biblical Robin Hood, and you brought me in. Like, people were hunting me, and you said, welcome. He says, you would have given me your eyes, and now I'm the enemy? Why? Because I care? Because I've told you the truth? Are you able to listen? That's what Paul is saying. Like, like listen, like, like, I care. Is the truth that hard for you that now I'm the bad guy? You would have taken me in when your life was on the line, but I say something that kind of collides with your lifestyle, and now you got an issue with me? What happened? As I read the text this week, I was really reminded of maybe some of the hardships in parenting. Some of you guys have kids that are in middle school, high school, college, or older. And sometimes it's hard for parents that had this little child that would look at the world and its nastiness and go, man, mom, dad, I will never fill in the blank. I'll never do these things. And as kids get older, it's hard for parents and loved ones to see stances change. And so kids are sinful, amen? Their heart is prone to wickedness just like us without the saving grace of God or even with the saving grace of God, we're still sinners. But like little Lila Bug who walks the aisle right now, like she doesn't wake up going, hey man, I'm really tempted to get drunk this weekend. So Lila's tempted in a lot of other things. She'll steal her sister's fruit snacks in the middle of the night, but she's not waking up going, man, I'm just really struggling with lust or addiction or gambling my future away, right? If anything, those types of sins and adult struggles in kids are at the heightened sense of taboo. Like my kids look at cigarettes and cocaine as equal, right? Dad, I will never do these things. And as they get older, they start putting themselves in other environments and they have other temptations and as their mind and hearts change and maturity and middle school, high school, friends, college, sin. A lot of parents will look at their little kids and go, man, brother, what happened to you? You ever felt like that? Like, I know you were six, but you said that you would never do these things. They seem so disgusting to you. Why are you in them now? Right? If anything, I've had parents say before, like, man, my kid is telling me I'll never, but I'm keeping one eye open. I know that kid who says they'll never gets older, and you will. And I know I'm going to be disappointed. And Paul says, what, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Parent, you ever felt that way? You ever sat with your son as he gets older and you're seeing him do things and you're like, man, listen, this is not good. This is not healthy. This is not glorifying God. And he fights you and you said, I'm the bad guy in this? You ever felt that way? I care. You know, I think in life, no matter how old or what your scenario is, there will be times for the Christian to sway, drift, 
from truth, truth, and then also disciplines. Truth, what is good, what is right, what is truth in Scripture, what do I know to be right, and then also just disciplines on what is healthy concerning God. There'll be moments in all of us, and like I said, if you haven't drifted, well, amen, you don't need to be here this morning. But if you're anything like me, I'm glad I am. There's moments we sway, and if you have anyone who loves you, when you sway and when you drift and when you fall, there will be moments where someone steps in that space and they bring that drifting delight. And they will sit with you potentially, and they will say, what has happened? This is essentially what the book of Galatians is about. Paul stepping in that space and says, hey, brother, what, what happened to you? Sister, what happened to you? You said you understood. You said you professed. You said you got it. You said you loved. You said you knew. And now I'm the bad guy because I'm telling you the truth. This is the book of Galatians. See, Paul cares, but truth hurts. All right? You guys sit well in those conversations. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Right? <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to hear what you think that I'm not doing right. Truth hurts. Truth, like a train wreck, collides with defensive self-righteousness. Well, you know what? This seems wrong to you because you just don't understand. I know from your perspective, this is not right or helpful, but you don't understand where I am at. And the person who's actually chosen to step into the space of love for you becomes the enemy. Please hear me. Like the person at the bar with you, they got nothing for you. They're not turning to their right and going, hey, there's better out there. There's no intervention there. Why? Because they're sinking with you. Like for the man who is in the sin with you, for the woman who is in the sin with you, for the group that is in the sin with you, man, they're amen in your songs because they see what you see which seems right. And you go, you know what? I don't really feel too bad about this because I got a group around me who loves it too. And Paul goes, hey, listen, I'm not in that group. I'm not there with you. I care more than the world. The people were abandoning the gospel and it showed. It showed in what they deemed to see to be right and real and true and helpful, but it also showed in their disciplines. It showed in how they treated other people and it also showed in how they reacted to truth when someone approached them with it. And Paul goes, man, I'm scared for your life, but also, I'm scared that you're not going to even listen to me. You ever been there? You ever been in a space where like, man, I, I need to talk to Wendy, but she's not going to hear me. That's kind of a, an inside poke. Because there's at times where I'll sit with my wife and you know what I do? I set it up. I can't just go, hey, sit down. That don't work in the Jones family home. This is how I got to work this. I go, hey, babe, listen to me. Listen to me. Before you say anything, hear me. 
That's what I got to do. Hear me. Listen before I hit you over the head with some hard truths. Right? That's how many of us are. We don't want to hear things. Hunter Jones does not want to hear things. Wendy doesn't want to hear things. You don't want to hear things. We don't want to hear things. Are you willing and able to listen? Just take a second, pause. Are you willing and able to listen? Listen to how Paul continues. Look at 17 and 18. 16, he says, well, 15, he goes, man, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given to me them the past. But, but now, because I, I hit you with some hard truths, have, have I become the enemy because I tell you this, right? 17, the world, the group, they zealously court you. Will you underline that one for me? They zealously court you, but for no good. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, but you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, but not only when I am present with you. Why did the Galatians drift? Hang. Why did the Galatians drift? Why do Christians, not the lost, why do the Christians today in 2021 drift? Why does Hunter sway? Why does the Jones family's discipline fall at times? Why does this happen? Well, there's many reasons, but oftentimes it's because we so easily fall under the unhelpful influence of others who actually do not care. Look at it. Look at it. This isn't a back alley drug deal. What does Paul says? They zealously court you. Like from Paul, from the people of Galatians, their standpoint, they're looking at Paul going, hey, he treats me right. You ever sat with somebody? Hey, she's not good for you. He's so sweet to me though. He doesn't love Jesus, but he always pays for my dinner. Right? This is what Paul is saying. He goes, they're courting you. They're zealously doing so, but what? Not for your good. Paul tells them you're blind. You don't see. You ever been the secondhand party from a bird's eye view? And you're like, man, they are going down a, a bad road, but they don't see it. Now let me ask you, have you ever been the person who didn't see it? Like I've seen it a lot. I'm always seeing, but have I ever been? I got a great perspective on other people's lives, but have I ever been the one? Has someone ever looked at Hunter's life and said, brother, you don't see it, but what are you doing? What's happened? And maybe like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'll give you a hint. The answer is yes. I've been those things. I've walked down roads that I thought or I rationalized that were good, that were unhelpful, untrue, and unhealthy. I've done it. And so have you. I was listening to an interview. It was a series on entrepreneur success. I like that type of stuff. Creativity and making it and stuff of that nature with your ideas. 
And so like this person who started a business here, and this person who did leadership here, and just all these different types of fields. And here's this young woman that comes to the stage. And the interviewer would always say, state your name and what you do. I forgot her name, but I remember she was very well-spoken, very pretty woman. She was all dolled up. She spoke well. She looked at the camera. She was very, very put together. I said, I wonder what she does. She says, I'm an adult film actress, a porn star. I was like, man, look at that. She's telling her story about how much she makes and where she travels and how all these things have opened up to her and, and all of this stuff. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, you're someone's daughter. You're, you're someone's granddaughter. You're someone's shortstop on their softball team when they were little. You were someone's star student. And, and why would anybody choose this profession? This is what she says. She goes, man, I was young and I met someone. And they offered me a better life. And they spoke to me about money, and they spoke to me about fame, and they spoke to me, do you want to travel? I like traveling. Do you want to travel? Do you want to make money? Do you want to meet a lot of people? Do you want to get out of the small town? And she said, yes. And you're watching this interview and going, what happened? She doesn't see it. Why would anybody choose such a profession? Prostitution? How does that make sense to anyone? Drugs? You ever met someone? You ever walked down? You ever done counseling with someone addicted? I remember the initial thought always being like, brother, this does not end well for you. There's no story at the end of this rainbow that alcoholism is going to save. It's not good. It always ends the same. Have you ever talked to one of those people? I got it under control. I got it under control. You ever talk to someone who's in a relationship with the opposite sex, married, and they're getting a little too close? And you see it and you're like, hey man, you're opening up way too much. You're spending way too much time. There's no reason for you to be texting her. Like, what are you doing? It's not what you think. It is what you think. 100% of the time, it is what you think. What happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? New gospel? A new way of salvation? Like, how does even one jump on board with this mess? Well, I met somebody, and they made it sound good. I remember hearing another interview, and it was somebody, you know, these, these mega, and I'm not knocking mega churches. I got no issues. You know, as long as it's gospel-centered, you be big, be small, do what you do. But it was one of those churches that, probably foundationally isn't very strong and it's the music videos you've seen where the people are like doing this like during the songs and stuff you know and like Liam's like hey we don't do that I was like I know we don't buddy it's all right right okay I wish we did okay but you know like there's fog in the air and the lights off and just everybody's just like this number and you're like man this is a wild scene right it was one of those churches and I was hearing an interview from this woman and she left the church, and she goes, they said, tell us what this church is like. I'm going to keep the name silent. They're going through a lot of problems now. 
And she said, you know what? You know that scene you see on the music videos? 100% legit. The music was a, a 10 out of 10. It was phenomenal. Such worship, such great quality. The environment, the sound, it was phenomenal. But I rarely heard the words Jesus. There were no Bible studies hearing the gospel. It was all just praising. You can do it. You are good enough. God loves you. Go conquer the world, right? She was, I was sitting there with my eyes open, dancing around the place going, I don't even know why I'm dancing. Why you do it? It sounded good. New gospel? What happened to you? What happened to you? Look at 19, my little children. This is where it really hit home with me as a pastor. My little children from whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. Man, that's wild. I know I'm telling you, telling you to highlight a lot, but that's a bold statement. My little children from whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and it's to change my tone, but I have doubts about you. I'd like to be there. I love you. I look at you as children. I'd like to be there to say this in a different way. Have you ever sat with somebody? I don't want to say this. I don't want to say it the way that I'm saying it. But I have my doubts about you. I doubt you'll listen or I doubt you'll change. What we see here in Paul, and we don't always see this in all the letters Paul is a concerned pastor. He's a loving shepherd. This isn't a buddy of his, right? What is he? I labor in birth. Paul uses the illustration of childbirth as the pain symbolism of seeing someone he loves drift from the truth and disciplines. Hang on. Like the parent looking at their drug-addicted child. He says it's like childbirth. And I've never birthed a child, but I've sat beside someone who did. Didn't look fun even from my seat. And he goes, man, it's like childbirth watching what you're doing. You ever felt like that by anybody you love? You know what he says? This is what he's saying to him. I love you. They don't. That's what he's saying to him. Like, I love you, they don't, please listen, but I doubt you will. I was thinking, I wonder how many letters they received like this. My money's on not very many. I wonder how many people traveled to sit with the people of Galatian or who cared, and my money's on not very many. And the person who did, he's the bad guy? Why? Because you're not willing to listen. You're not humble enough to open up to someone who actually cares. And this is a great statement if you're a note, note taker. Are you willing to be the enemy for those you love? Are you willing to be the enemy for those you love? It's a great thought. You know, in ministry as a pastor, when I started out in this, <clears throat> I had a goal of not getting too close or not overstepping my boundaries concerning like disciplines and lifestyle and decisions that you guys are making. And there's still a lot of truth to that because there was a fear of driving you away. 
Like if I was to sit Braden down and go, hey, Braden, I got a few things to say to you, the likelihood is Braden's not gonna take that very well. I love you, Hunter. I just dislike everything you chose to say to me, right? Because I'm right, you're wrong. That's who we are. We're defensive, we're prideful, we're self-righteous. And so I had this idea of like, hey, Hunter, if you're gonna grow a church, hang with me. If you're gonna grow a church, I'm not gonna be able to keep talking to people about their life. You're gonna drive some people away and anger them. Hang on every word that I'm saying because in this scenario, I'm the shepherd. You might be the enemy for stepping in that space, but choosing to be quiet doesn't mean you're helpful. So there are times where I am staring out into the sea of the sheep and I see you drift and I see you drift and you got two choices in life. You can say something out of your love for them or you can be quiet and I will tell you that if you choose not to, not to say anything, the alternative does not mean they're coming back. And Paul goes, hey, listen, I know how this is probably how it's going to end, but I love you enough to step in that space. Hallelujah. Thank the good Lord Jesus Christ for the people in your life that care enough to step into that space. Amen? And you make them the bad guy. Do you see like this wild, applicable reality of who we are? There is a sea of people. One chooses to walk into that circle and we make you the bad guy. That is who we are. Are you able? Are you willing to listen? It's often the people closest and the people we need the most that we make enemy. And listen to me, guys. If you won't hear your wife, if you won't listen to your husband, if you won't listen to your best friend, if you will not hear your pastor, what hope do you have here? You think you're going to look at me and go, hey, listen, I am in sync with the Holy Spirit, but I won't listen to any godly influence I have in my life. You have lied to yourself. Oh yeah, I'm defensive and self-righteous, but man, I am in tune with the Spirit. No, you're not. You're blind. We must be humble and open and willing to sit with the people who love us and choose to step into the space of our drifting and swaying to call us back to a better life. Are you able to listen? Are you able to listen. Paul gives a, an ending illustration here that we're not going to dive too much into, but we are going to look at it overpassingly. Look at 21 through 31. He says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you see that statement? <laughs> do you see that? It's so applicable to today. You know, he looks at these people and goes, hey, you know these friends that you love hanging out with? Like, do you see them? <laughs> do you see what you're doing? Do you see what you believe? Like, I'm gonna say out loud what you're professing to be true. You see how crazy that sounds? That's what Paul says. You're under this law that what you do saves you. Do you see how crazy that is? 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, and from this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia that corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now is, which now is and is bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of all of us. For it is written in Isaiah, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. 28, hang with me, church. Now we, brothers, as Isaac, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, and the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with her son of the free woman. 31, last verse. So then, brothers, we are not children. This is what I want you to hang on. So then, brothers, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free one. Paul looks at them as he looks at their drifting from truth that saves and then disciplines that are helpful. He says, why do you choose slavery? Why do you choose slavery? Why do you choose a message that ends in bondage? Like, why? Why do you do this? What happened? The cross offers freedom. The cross offers freedom. Stop running to a message that does not save and a lifestyle that is not healthy. Stop running to things. A message. People that will not save you and a lifestyle that is not healthy. Today, this message applies to what we believe, how we've been brought up, what we see to be true, and what we deem to be healthy. We all drift. We all drift. What happened? Why is God not first in your life? Why have you abandoned what's the best thing in your life? Galatians, as we close, Galatians, every word of Galatians, the umbrella, every word of Galatians draws us to the freedom of the gospel. Everyone, that Jesus Christ saves, that he accomplished what man cannot, and he offers what is best. Faith in this leads to glory. Every word of Galatians chapter 1 through 6 is tearing down falsehood and unhealthy disciplines and raising to light what truly saves and what is truly healthy. But it is also a call to turn back and go home. That is where he says in this text, are you able to hear it? I'm giving you truths. I'm giving you gold. Don't make me the bad guy. Like, do not make me the bad guy. The Father loves you more than your sin. 
The Father loves you more than those who court you. The Father loves you more than your defensiveness. Come back home. That is repentance. And I tell you, I think Brent said this last week, the turn from your sin, that pivot, that might seem like a long way back. And you might go, Hunter, I know that God is not first. I know that I'm making poor decisions. I know how I was brought up and I have hung on to a gospel that does not save me. I know that I'm doing those things, but to turn, man, God seems like a very far away man, right? He will meet you in the middle of the field. Hang on it. In every man and every woman's life, there will be a point where someone asks you what happened. Paul just says, let it be the world who asks. At some point, at some point, someone will look at you and go, man, what happened? Paul just goes, don't let it be the Lord. Don't let it be your pastor. Don't let it be the godly influence you have in your life. Don't let it be them. Like, let the world look at you and go, what happened? And tell them, I found something better. I found something greater. I found something that saves. I found something that blesses. I found something that fulfills. Let the world ask you, not me. So as we close here, I do want to challenge you with kind of the fine print. There have been times in my life where some people have sat me down and I have prayed over it. I have thought about it. I have talked to people about it and I disagreed with them. We are not the Holy Spirit. We are not God, right? We could be wrong. There have been times where people have sat Hunter Jones down and they were 100% Right, but I was so ingrained in what I wanted to do and my sin and my self-righteousness that I was so blind, I didn't see it. And then there was times people have sat me down and they were right and I fought them even though I knew that I was wrong. How crazy is that? You ever done that? I know I am wrong, but I'm not gonna let you think you're right. What I wanna challenge you with today is pray. Pray, God, am I blind? Am I not seeing it? Like I hear what Hunter says is truth and I see what your word says is disciplined. Am I blind? Am I not seeing it? Am I not able to listen? Am I unwilling? Am I self-righteous? Am I prideful? God, remove my blindness. Make me vulnerable. Make me humble. Make me willing. Thank God for the church. Thank God for his spirit. Thank God for his cross. Thank God for his son. Thank God for his word. Thank God for godly influences that steps in those spaces and says what happened. Come back home. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I begin this prayer with forgiveness. Lord, I know that I can be all of those things. I think that's honestly why the the word so quickly flowed onto the paper this week, because I am it. I can be 
in denial. I can rationalize. I can debate. And I can go to the wall with things that I know that might not be true, but I'm not going to give up. I can be prideful. I can be self I can be all of those things. I know it. And God, I pray for forgiveness because it's nothing but ugly. And I can't change it on my own because it's who I am. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit humbles me. I pray that your spirit humbles me. This is not just something I can grind out and do better and try my best. It doesn't work that way. Lord, make me more willing to listen. Make me more humble to hear. Lord, I pray um, that I don't make the people who love me most the enemy. My Lord, oh, just saying that just sounds crazy. Making the ones that love me the most the enemy. Lord, please don't let me do that. What hope do I have? Lord, I pray that not only am I willing to listen to my loved ones, but your word. I follow your direction, your guidance, your spirit. Lord, I pray for every single one here. Lord, if we have not put you first, forgive us. If we have walked down roads of rationalizing and sin and, and lostness and untruths that don't save, if we, are, if we are walking in denial, idle words, if we are walking in these spaces, let your word crush it. Just crush it. Just what I pray that these people, every one of them, 100%, just can barely stand on this next song because your word is just taking out all the nasty lies of what's true and false and what's good and, and they are just making just your goodness stand out. That's what I pray. I pray that the world asks us this day forward what happened to us. I pray that. I pray that the world said, our kids say, what happened to you, daddy? And we go, I found something better. I found something better. Praise God. Praise Jesus. In your precious name, the Lord, the church says, amen.